Wow, I think I can sit down and we can just call it a, a good Sabbath. Everything that they have brought has just gone right along. What a blessing it is to be here on, on God's holy day. Many but one. I want to share a a little information with you before we get right into the sermon. You know, we um, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians know that there was a little book that John was told, you know, you can take it and eat it, it's going to be bitter in your stomach, but sweet in your mouth. And um, in 1844, there was that great disappointment. And I don't know if you're aware, and maybe some of you do know the stories of the potato patch preachers, but there were miracles that took place even though there was that great disappointment. You see, they were expecting Jesus to come in October of 1844, but there were some of them who were faithfully um, going about their business earlier in the year, in the spring. And one of those was Leonard Hastings, and he was a farmer in New Hampshire, And his business was pasturing and caring for cattle, and he also grew enough produce to supply his family's needs. And they also relied heavily upon a crop, a potato crop, for their use and to sell for some income. And so they lived in New Ipswich, which is was a Millerite community at that time. But there were neighbors living around them who were not Adventist. And so in the spring of 1844, Hastings, he put in a large field of potatoes, actually a 12-acre field of potatoes. And they grew well, and they were ready for harvest in the fall. Now, somebody wanted to ask me the question when I gave this presentation in Deckard, was that his actual field? No, I don't think that's the actual field. But um, Hastings decided not to dig them because he felt it would be a denial of his faith because in October of that year, Jesus was going to come back. And so Why would he need to dig up his potatoes? And of course, a few of his neighbors, thinking that he was crazy, they offered to dig them up and store them in his barn. And he thanked them, but he said, no, you know, I'm going to let that field of potatoes preach my faith in the Lord's soon coming. And so that's what he did. And of course, his neighbors thought he was very foolish, and he'll be sorry. And others, of course, behind his back, 
said, those potatoes will rot in the ground. Well, the neighbor's unbelief didn't affect Leonard Hastings' decision at all. And so he left them in the ground. And of course, we know how the story went that October 22 came. Midnight arrived. The sun came up on October 23 and no Jesus. And it was a huge disappointment. And what happened to some of the Millerite believers? Some of them left and went their own way. Others studied harder and discovered what the truth really was. And that the Bible said you will have to prophesy again. But Hastings, he had that potato patch. Did his potatoes rot in the ground? No. And none of the Millerites starved to death. As it turned out, Hastings' potatoes did a better job of preaching than he could have ever done. Because you see, in the fall of 1844, it was a mild fall. And the potatoes were left in the ground until November by others. But when he finally dug them, he found that they were some of the best that he'd ever grown. But his neighbors who had dug their potatoes earlier had a problem. You see, their potatoes, there was a blight in New England that year. And it rotted nearly all the potatoes that had been dug at the proper time. But the ones left in the ground didn't rot. So Mr. Hastings had a big supply of potatoes for his family as well as for the same neighbors who had called him foolish. In fact, because of the scarce supply of potatoes, um, of seed potatoes, he was able to sell his potatoes for seed potatoes at $5 a bushel. Now, I don't know if you know, but in 1844, the average income was only about 80 cents a day, something like that, when I looked it up online. And so $5 was a huge amount. It was an enormous price. So what the people thought was going to cause Mr. Hastings some real problems turned out to be a blessing to him and also to his neighbors. Now, there was another man also. His name was Silas Guilford. And he was William Miller's brother-in-law. And he planted a 12-acre field of potatoes in the spring of 1844. And he left his potatoes in the ground as a testimony of his faith in the Lord's coming. And this was actually in Oswego, New York. And I looked up and found out that um, per acre, potatoes in that part of the country, in Maine and in those states up there, northern states, could give as many as 
200 bushel to the acre. Now, other areas of the country was only like maybe 99 to 100 bushels to the acre. But there, their potatoes just were bigger and better and more to the acre. So Silas went out to the field. Now, his wife had told him, don't go out there and dig up those potatoes. They're already rotten, and you're just going to make a fool of yourself in front of everybody by going out there to dig up those potatoes. But he said, no, I'm going to go and see what's there. When he pushed the fork firmly into the first potato hill and turned up the dirt, and with it came nice, firm potatoes because they didn't freeze Nothing happened to them, and no rot on them, and the next hill was the same, and the next. And so he had his boys go and get the spades and everything, and they had many potatoes on that 12 acres. It yielded an awesome number, and they got $4.50 to the bushel for their potatoes. So, you know, when we think of, of the disappointment that happened in 1844, we can remember that there were potato patches that were preachers in that time period. There were miracles that took place. God was still in charge, was he not? God still cared about his people. He loved them. God can take any situation, and he can make it good. Can he not? Yes. With God, all things are possible. We find that in Matthew 19, 26, Mark 10, 27, Luke 18, 27, and also in Jeremiah 32 and verse 17. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we are encouraged because of the fact that by faith these men were willing to sacrifice because of their belief that you were coming. We have that belief today that you are coming soon. Help us to stick by our faith in that and not to ever Turn aside to know that your promise is sure when you said that I am coming again to take you home, as he told the disciples. Father, I pray for your spirit to guide now. May the words I say be according to your will. May they be your words. Make me that nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place, and from that nail hang a picture of your dear face. In Jesus' name, I pray. Today we're going to look at a couple different illustrations that Paul gave. First of all, we're going to look in Romans we're going to look in Romans. And we're going to look in Romans chapter 
12. And then, it's interesting how the Bible does that, but in 1 Corinthians, which is just the next book, chapter 12, Paul talks about the same type of thing here going on. Serving God with spiritual gifts, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think, uh, let me go back to verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, your bodies, yourselves, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, any habit or practice that would lead into sin and bring dishonor upon Christ would better be put away. Whatever that sacrifice might be to put it away. That which dishonors God cannot benefit the being or the soul. The blessing of heaven cannot attend any man in violating the eternal principles of right. And you've heard this before. She says, from the desire of ages, and one sin cherished is sufficient to work the degradation of the character and to mislead others. Now, I'm not so concerned about the fact that one sin cherished can degrade the character, but I'm more concerned about this misleading others. If that one sin can cause us to mislead others. So for I say through the grace given, verse 3, to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You know, I did CAT scans for 37 years. And during that time, that machine that I started out with progressed and progressed. You know, we got new machines every so many years, and I had to learn new things. And yes, it was an important tool. It would help with diagnosis and that sort of thing. But you know, one thing that I never did, I never looked down upon those who cleaned the floor in my room or put clean sheets in there for me and pillowcases and that sort of thing because their job was just as important as mine. I always treated them like they were equal with me. I never looked down upon them whatsoever because their job was important. Many times there would be blood on the floor and sometimes there would be other things which we won't discuss today. But, you know... People would get sick on the table, unfortunately, when you're injecting that contrast in them. So, I always appreciated what their job was and what they did. In Luke 22, and I'd love for you to turn there. Luke 22 
It's Thursday. It's Thursday evening. They've already had the Passover supper. And yet, in verse 24, it says, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. The disciples had been with Jesus three and a half years. He's going to the cross the next day, less than 24 hours away. And yet here they are squabbling over which one is going to be the greatest. You can read for yourselves what Jesus told them there. I'm not going to do that today because that's not really what the sermon's about, but it is about that part. Because that's what this verse is saying. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now that measure of faith, that's awesome. He has given every one of us a measure of faith. That is an awesome thing that God has done. And then he gives the parable He says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he would say that many times before he would start a parable, and the disciples are there with bated breath, just waiting. What is he going to tell us? He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And they're like, what a mustard seed? Yes, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Now, it may not be literal mountains, but it may be a mountain that's going on in your life. You may have a huge mountain going on in your life. You've just gone through some horrific burns. And I know, I've, I've burnt just a little bit of my finger. The pain is tremendous. I can't imagine. We have mountains, but by faith, those mountains can be moved. By faith. Verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, he doesn't leave it there. He says, love And your version may say, let love be, but I like to put it, love can be without hypocrisy. It can be. It can be. If we abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And then he goes on, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving Preference to one another. Not lagging in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. That's probably one of the biggest keys. 
is that steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse. And then I drop on down to verse 20 where it says, Therefore, therefore, and then verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, under a storm of stinging, fault-finding words, keep the mind stayed upon the word of God. Let mind and heart be stored with God's promises. If you are ill-treated or wrongfully accused, instead of returning an angry answer, repeat to yourself the precious promise that it says there, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good, and you will as other texts have said, put coals of fire on their head. So Paul gives another example of this, same thing, only he's going to elaborate on it in a little bit different way. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away by idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So do we need the Holy Spirit? Yes. And then our text for today. And I love these three texts here. Four, four texts. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There we have the Spirit. So pay attention. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord, that's Jesus Christ. Verse 6, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God, the Father, who works in all. Paul is able to incorporate all of the Godhead into this message but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through that same Spirit. Now, I would like to think that every one of us sitting here in this building today would be able to get those, the Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of knowledge. Basically, they're almost the same thing, aren't they? And yet they're not, are they? Knowledge is book learning, and wisdom is learning about life, basically. So there's a difference. But he gives to another faith by that same spirit and to another gifts of healings by the same spirit, but especially that he gives another faith by that same Spirit. I think 
always, when I think of faith, I think of those people who go out in faith and start up a non-profit organization expecting people to give to that organization. That takes a lot of faith. When I think of how 3ABN started, the faith that they had for that to come about is unbelievable. Faith. That is some faith. I wish I had that kind of faith. I don't. You know, I, I, I see things as they are. <laughs> and with faith, you have to be able to see things as they're not sometimes. And, and that's hard to do. So now he's going to go into unity and diversity in one body. And I think it's a brilliant analogy that Paul gives here. And I like the way the Andrews, the new Andrews Bible commentary has put this, these uh, verses, verses 12 through uh, 24, basically. Well, it, it actually covers all of them, 12 through 31. But in order to make his point clearer, Paul uses an analogy that compares the church to a human body with many parts, representing unity in diversity. Although the church has many members, they all constitute the one body of Christ. The body does not need only eyes, but also ears and a nose. God created the human body in such a way that all these different organs are needed. And if there were no diversity, there would be no body. Otherwise, there would be um, an eye, an ear, a nose, a foot. It wouldn't be a body. In the same way that the human body has many individual parts that work together for the overall good of the body. So the church is made up of different members who are called to work together to represent Christ in the world. The church crosses boundaries of gender, social status, class, ethnic origins, men and women, rich and poor, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. It's only in this oneness in diversity, that Christ can fully be represented to the world. So no member of the body of Christ should ever say to another member that he or she isn't needed. And to make this point, Paul focused on how valuable those parts of the body are that are often thought to be weaker parts. You know, we, we, of course, think of the eyes as the most important, but, you know, we still need the feet to carry us along. We still need the hand to do important jobs. We should never, ever think of any one or any position as weaker or less honorable or un presentable. Everyone is necessary, and since we are all connected together as one body, there should be no 
divisions in the community. Let me say that again. Everyone is necessary. And since we're all connected together as one body, there should be no divisions in the community. And God has appointed, verse 28, these in the church. Greeter coordinator. Communications person. Bulletin person. Clerk. Treasurer. Deacons, deaconesses, elders, home and school leader, Sabbath school superintendent, Sabbath school secretary, school board chairman, finance committee, church music coordinator, audiovisual, the lineup. Personal ministries, health ministries, women's ministries, men's ministries, pathfinders, adventures, social committees. None of those, not one is more important than the other. They all have their place in the community, right? We all have a place in the community. In Acts of the Apostles, page 92, it says this, Solemn are the responsibilities resting upon those who are called to act as leaders in the church of God on earth. Solemn are the responsibilities resting. Don't take it lightly the position that you have been asked to serve in. Don't ever take it lightly. God can use you in mighty ways, regardless of what that position might be. God wants us to use it. But then in verse 31, he says something kind of strange to me. He says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. To prevent the Corinthians from getting caught up in the pursuit of the gifts they believed were the most spectacular, personally gratifying, and bestowed on them the greatest honor, Paul told them that there is a more excellent way. What is that more excellent way? Corinthian, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us what that is. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing and then he really gets serious about it. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, like the rich young ruler, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, 
it profits me nothing. It's just unbelievable to think that we could actually sacrifice our body thinking that we had done it and that that was going to give us a place in his kingdom. But without love, it avails nothing. If you remember nothing else, remember that it is love that is most important in everything. Jesus told the disciples, I go, but I want you to love one another. He said, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Did he not? Yes. So he gives us that new commandment to love one another as he has loved us. That's my prayer for you today, that we will all. Somebody said, we're a family, right? Yeah, we should love one another always.